Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Auburn Today podcast. As always, my name is Noble. I'm joined with my co-host, Wheeler. Today, we have a really fun podcast ahead of us. You know, week one is in the books. Auburn is 1-0 after the big win against Mercer. And so let's just jump right into it with Wheeler. You know, just kind of, first of all, give us your thoughts about the kind of like the landscape of the SEC in general, the SEC West specifically, and just kind of what you were thinking as everybody kind of had their week one games. Obviously, a lot of teams in the SEC you know, first game's not really a super tight one. You know, usually it's kind of a more cupcake team. There were some closer games. Just kind of give us a quick rundown of some of the SEC teams that stood out to you that maybe didn't stand out to other people or just kind of what games interested you in the SEC in general before we start talking about all specifically. Um, I thought that this week in the SEC really was str- – it was almost exactly what you expected out of every single team, at least on the West, except for maybe LSU. I really thought that LSU was going to look a lot cleaner than they did. Um, I think they've got some deep problems going on down at LSU right now. Like you know, The media loves to beat up on Auburn for being dysfunctional and all, but I don't think that Brian Kelly is fitting in very well down on the bayou. Like, there seems to be a lot of turmoil going on between the players and him and the boosters and him, even the media. I don't know if you've been on Twitter since this happened, Noble. Um, but tonight, a reporter walked in kind of later to the press conference, not even that late, probably like 30 seconds into it. And he was like, well, I see we're getting a late start tonight. Uh, some of y'all, I guess, had too much fun down in New Orleans this weekend. And the reporter collapsed back and is like, maybe if you win, I'd be on time. And I was like, whoa. So either either this reporter was just having a really bad day and wanted to let him have it, or there's just been a lot of pin-up, you know, disdain. Uh, It's also kind of coming out that he may or may not have been – I mean, it doesn't sound like he was not the most beloved guy at Notre Dame. Like, they liked that he won – but other than that, everybody was kind of like, dude's a jerk. They didn't like him. Yeah. Yeah, and when your team looks like they did, I mean, hats off to Florida State for going out and winning the football game, but really, LSU lost the game. Like, for all intents and purposes, they lost the game. Not only on the kick. I mean, fumbling two punts. They didn't play well the whole night. I don't know what's going on with Kayshawn and whatever his last name is now. It used to be Boutte, and now it's Booty. Like, <laughs> I I think I think Tessator and McElroy were just wrong the whole night because I just I mean uh, if a player plays for LSU and it's his name is spelled that way and it's been called Butte the whole time 
I'm just like, how did it all of a sudden become booty? Like, I, I don't know if that's just like one of those things. And that's not super uncommon that it's like the commentators will find out that it's some that, that they've been pronouncing the guy's name wrong and then they'll correct it. But I just can't believe that the guy's name, the guy's last name is actually booty. Well, that's how he played. Um, when Coy Moore said he was better than him, I would agree that Coy was better than Monday night Kayshawn Booty. I mean, dude didn't look like he wanted to be there on every play. I mean, he just kind of haphazardly ran his routes. It was something to behold. But all of that being said, I thought that the Auburn game was everything I expected and nothing that I expected at the same time. From a global perspective, the score is about what I expected. Um, the performances of who I thought played especially well and who did not play, I think the thing is they they murdered the other team. They were totally more athletic than Mercer. Um, I'm actually re-watching the game right now. It's on the background as we're recording this podcast. I don't think that you can say necessarily that anyone played bad other than TJ Finley. And I think that TJ actually played well before whatever voodoo happened to him um, where he threw his two interceptions. But at the end of the day, overall performance, you look at it, TJ, as far as quarterbacking, not as far as, you know, getting the offense lined up, not keeping the penalties low, just playing the game of football, TJ had a poor night. I mean, two interceptions on 14 attempts, that's just not going to get it done. Because realistically in a game, you're probably going to throw the ball 20 to 30 times. And so at that rate, he's throwing four to five interceptions a game. And I mean, that that's just, that's terrible. And the thing about it is that the interceptions, they they weren't just incredible plays by the defense. Um you know, they, they were pretty bad throws. So that was definitely concerning. Robbie Ashford played way above his head, I thought. As far as running, I think we saw him running was about what I expected it to be because you could see the videos in the preseason practice of him throwing the ball, and the I, I was like, this guy has got to be electric running the football if he's still in contention to be a quarterback. And I thought, and I can't remember if I said it on the podcast or I was just telling, you know, you when we were talking. Harson saying that Robbie was going to get a bunch of snaps tells me that in his heart of hearts, he knows that the only way that this season is going to be successful is if Robbie is able to somehow learn how to throw the football. Um, I don't, I'm not convinced as of right now that we're going to have a single quarterback. I'm really, I really think that we're going to play a two quarterback system all year. Um, unless Robbie is throwing the ball like he was against Mercer, but we have to remember he's throwing against an FCS defense. Okay. So it's kind of like, you know, you'll see the stats of these FCS guys and you're like, Oh, wow. They were lighting it up today. They should transfer into Auburn. Well, the reason a lot of those guys don't transfer into the SEC is because the defense they're playing. Like, a lot of guys can look really good against the defense that the Bears rolled out there. So, I want to pump the brakes. I thought that that throw, his deep ball, was perfect. A lot of his passes were really good. Even the screen pass to Tank hit him in the hands. It may have come in a little hot, but you got to 
you got to haul that in. I thought he played great. Is he able to throw the ball like that every game? That's going to determine whether he we have one starter or whether we're rotating quarterbacks every other play. Yeah, and I think you can also really look at kind of if you if you psychoanalyze most of his throws. Obviously, he had the initial. He had the, his first throw of the night was to Tarvars Dawson. Wasn't a great throw, but it was still a completion. Obviously, he had the deep ball to Javaris Johnson that was obviously absolute dime. He had the other deep throw that was the play right before the rain delay that was not ideal. He he missed Shedrick Jackson that was open, and he threw the bomb to Tarvars Dawson, and it was underthrown, and he kind of got bailed by a pass interference that was – I'm not going to say it was, wasn't a pass interference, but it wasn't a great throw. And so – I do think that that is something that people aren't as really mentioning because that, if the DB is actually paying attention, there's a good shot that that pass gets picked. I think if you're playing a good DB, I mean, you look at you look at Georgia against Oregon, Bo Nix's first interception, that DB made an absolutely absurd circus, incredible play. It's like, okay, that guy's picking the ball off if Robbie throws that absolute duck that underthrows the guy by seven yards. So, obviously, that's kind of a psychoanalyzing every throw he made. He also, I mean, he was four of seven, had 100 passing yards. Not a bad performance by any means. His running ability, obviously, that's really what stole the show. Had a long of 49, average 11.3 yards per carry. The guy can run. I mean, his running ability is is good. Um, and I really did think, I, I don't think the offense looked dysfunctional with him out there. I, 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 you know, I mean, I would say TJ did a good job of, I mean, obviously being a quarterback in the main sense of the word, of like directing the offense and everything like that. Obviously there weren't that many penalties, but I didn't think there was that much of a drop off with Robbie Ashford when he was starting out there in quarterback. So I, I really don't know if that, Maybe it's that's something you can't really tell as much in the game. And Robbie, you know, earned his stripes in that sense against Mercer. You know, we'll, we'll see more this week. Um, obviously, Tank Bigsby had, I think, possibly the quietest 147 yards I've ever seen. It seemed like he really didn't do much. And then you look up on the stat sheet and you're like, oh, my gosh, like he's got triple-digit yards. I mean, he had, he had a strong game. Jarquez had, you know, found the end zone a decent amount. Um, I thought the and offense, it would have been close to 200 yards if that if that holding had not mm-hmm. been called on his biggest yeah, run exactly. of the night. Exactly. Yeah. So I I definitely think that I, I would say offensively I would say 95 percent of the team did what they were supposed to do. And obviously the I mean the bar isn't exactly set super high against a team like Mercer, but it is comforting that they did what they were supposed to do against an inferior opponent. And next week they'll have another test that it's like, okay, you're going to play another inferior opponent. If you can do what you're supposed to do again, proves that it's not a fluke and you're like, okay, you are a you are a legitimate SEC football player. And we'll see how you fare against other SEC teams, but it's like you've done what you're supposed to do. And I really don't the, – the only – I mean, I obviously running backs, receivers, tight ends – not super worried about them against San Jose State. The only offensive position group I'm really watching close against San Jose State is obviously quarterbacks. You're going to see multiple quarterbacks again, just like you did last week. You're going to see all that. You're going to see all the kind of bells and whistles with what they're going to do with that. 
you know, like when they did the the sweep to Robbie Ashford that turned into a speed option, those kind of plays that you're going to make the you're going to make Penn State kind of look at. They're going to look through the formations. They're going to have to know how to get ready for things. You're going to add things to that. You're going to see all that, but I, I really just think you've got to think Robbie Ashford is the leader right now because obviously you're gonna you're gonna know. You, you know what happened in fall camp, and they, they're going to consider that. But also, if it happens in back-to-back weeks when Ashford outshines Finley, that's going to be tough to deny and not start Ashford, or at least give him the majority of the reps against Penn State. And it's not out of the question that they play two quarterbacks, but it's risky when one of them throws two interceptions and 14 attempts against Mercer. I mean, he's because the that, throwing guy. Exactly. That becomes the point where it's like he can lose you the game. And that you know, obviously, you look at um, you know, some of the the, mo- the more recent teams in the SEC that have ran a, Q- a two QB system that didn't involve someone that was just really good at playing quarterback. The first one that comes to mind in recent years is Florida, 2019. They had that Kyle Trask, Emory Jones kind of thing, and that was before Kyle Trask was a really good quarterback, like he was in 2020. But that was one where it's like when Emory Jones came in, he wasn't turning it over. Like, he was doing his job. He was getting first downs, getting yards, and that's why they kept playing him. But mark my words, if Emory Jones has started turning the ball over on a consistent basis, you're not going to play that guy, no matter how talented he is, he's turning the ball over. And I think the same is true, even if Robbie's not that great of a passer, you can't play the guy that's gunslinging in practice when he throws multiple interceptions in a short sample size. So I think if Finley – I honestly think if Finley throws another interception – that is his fault, 100%. I, I think it really is tough to – it's tough to put any confidence on him when you're playing guys that are power five football players. You know, I, I just – I think from a confidence perspective, you lose almost all confidence in Finley, and it's really not that much that's sitting in the tank right now, but I just think you lose most of your confidence if TJ throws even another bad interception against a team like San Francisco. Well, in all the examples you're giving, it's the same as Robbie coming in and throwing interceptions. Like, yeah. that, that's the thing is it's not the guy that comes off the bench that's electric, that, like, has a little bit of a gunslinger mentality. Like, this is supposed to be your rock that, like, you lean on, and he's the one that's throwing the picks. Meanwhile, your gunslinger's out there, and to be fair, he, he could have thrown a pick against a good DB – it's it's going to be in jeopardy of being intercepted, but hasn't actually thrown an interception yet. And there's something to be said for that. Now, he, he did throw the ball seven times. So one would hope that hopefully in seven attempts, you don't throw a pick. Um, but at TJ's clip, you know, two and 14. Uh, yeah, I mean, one and on seven. the other hand, you would hope. Yeah, I mean, on the other hand, you would hope that if you throw 14 attempts, you don't throw two interceptions. Yeah. Um. But other than that, I thought the defensive line played well. Um, they had a little bit of trouble, you know, finishing the job on that quarterback. He was a slippery little guy. Um, but, like, the play I just watched, Auburn rushed four guys, and Mercer kept eight guys back. I mean, they literally double-teamed all four guys that were coming because they basically knew Auburn wasn't going to blitz. I mean, I think you could probably count on one hand how many blitzes Auburn called. It, it was not a – Blitz happy game, you know. Um, I think a I thought Cam Riley had a really, really good game. 
Um, he was a question mark coming into the season, and he looked totally comfortable out there. I feel a lot better about him. Interestingly enough, a position group that I was not expecting to kind of struggle a little bit was the DBs. Um, they got cooked a couple times and kind of got bailed out by the fact that this quarterback, one, didn't throw dimes, and two, um, the receivers were not quite as fast as they were. But there were multiple plays where if it was a real guy, like, they're toast because they aren't going to be able to catch five yards on somebody. So that was a little bit uh, – I don't know if it was the vanilla defense, which it definitely could be, or just, a, you know, communication. Because you think about it, the secondary's been – you've had <clears throat> Roger and Smoke out there for four years calling coverages, seeing coverages, and then you kind of have a new – New signal callers out there, and so that could have been a little bit of it. I think that it was more that. I think it was more communication stuff than it was talent stuff, Um, and I expect that that will get cleaned up. I expect that the defense will look a lot better against San Jose State um, than they did against Mercer. I think Mercer was a really good offensive team. I mean, obviously they scored 63 points the week before, um, and the defensive line had not gone against a live quarterback, and – your safeties and corners, you know, it's all – it's different when you're in a game than it is when you're in a scrimmage. And this was kind of their first game experience with them calling out the coverages and such. Yeah, and I – you know, to build off that, you you know, you mentioned kind of with Smoke Monday being the signal caller. I mean, you do look – I mean, last season, obviously, you had Smoke Monday who had been in the program for a long time before him. You had Jamie and Sherwood. Before that, you had uh, Daniel Thomas and Jeremiah Denson together. Before that, you had Stephen Roberts and Trey Matthews. I mean, it's been a while. I mean, it's been a long time. And even before that, there are even more guys. But it's been a while before since Auburn has had just new safeties. Just, you know, completely like these guys have not really been in the program that much or haven't been playing that much. Uh, obviously, you know, we had Zion Puckett out there. But even Zion hasn't really been playing safety that much you know he's been kind of a flex been playing nickel he's played a little safety he plays a little bit of corner I mean he's been kind of an all over the place kind of guy so he's a good football player but he's still got to get used to the fact that he's kind of out there calling coverages and stuff like that Caden Bridges I thought played well but he's still young player new player you know that kind of thing uh I do think I do agree with you about the DBs a little bit I think Nehemiah Pritchett had some good plays, had some bad plays. I was encouraged, however, by Jalen Simpson. I thought he played a phenomenal game. I mean, he really – he locked up. You didn't see him in the – you know, you, you look at a stat sheet, you just don't see his name. And for a corner, that's really good because if you don't do anything, that means that they didn't throw it to you because even if you get beat or burned, if they're picking on you, you get some tackles. But, I mean, Jalen did very little all night. They didn't even try and throw it his way. Um, he did a fantastic job. And so you can look at that and either get worried that they were kind of almost picking on Nehemiah Pritchett, throwing to him a lot, or you can find a little bit of comfort in the fact that Jalen Simpson locked his man up. So I think it's kind of a, a give and take. There's good parts and bad parts. And obviously I don't think the DBs played a fantastic game, but I do think that there are some positive aspects to look. And obviously Cam Riley was more the guy that stole the show on defense with 15 total tackles, nine of them being solo tackles, had a QB hurry. The guy played a phenomenal game. Uh, they were definitely, you know, Mercer had definitely studied film. They were 
petrified of Owen Papo. They did not run it to his side. I don't think they ran it a single time to his side. They ran weak side linebacker every single time, and they were just hoping that Cam Riley was just going to get beat. He would be new. He wouldn't know what he was doing. Cam Riley was hitting the holes he was supposed to. He was tracking guys down that he was supposed to, and he did his job to the letter. And I think that's the, I think that is the best possible thing that could have happened for Cam in the first game is that they run it at him every single time because now San Jose State comes. It already feels like he already feels like he played two games. I mean, he 15 tackles. That is really. I mean, it's rare that you get 15 tackles in a game. He already feels like he's got a you know a couple games of experience under his belt. I imagine San Jose State's going to move it to his side a decent amount because it doesn't matter how good he plays. You have an all-pro linebacker on the other side. You're going to try and run it to the other side. So I I definitely think that Cam Riley is getting some really, really useful reps before he really needs them. And I'm really hoping that he can elevate – if he continues to elevate his game, then all of a sudden the position of potential weakness and lack of depth might become a potential strength. You have Owen and Cam Riley out there playing – Playing real good. And I will also say, I thought that the DBs, when I say they weren't playing well, they played the ball actually really well. Like when they were there, their plays on the ball were some of the best that I think we've seen in a while. Like they had a lot of pass breakups, and that was really encouraging to see. I think it was, I just was not expecting as many. Mercer had a lot of guys that were running pretty wide free, you know? I mean, it was. They had a couple of dudes that were really getting it. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I thought that the DBs made great plays when they were at the ball. Um, and then, like you said, I, Mercer, I think I texted you during the game. So, when Owen and Cam Riley were on the field, they never ran it to Owen's side. When it was Cam Riley and, like, Wesley Steiner or Cam Riley and uh, Eugene Asante, they, they always ran away from Cam. Like, if the starting linebacker or the one that they perceived was better, it didn't matter which side that linebacker was playing. They were running towards the guy that they perceived as not as good. Um, and it it was not super successful. Um, so, yeah, I thought that the defense, the defense did what they needed to. I think people were panicking a bit about the defense's fourth quarter performance, but I'm just like, I mean, come on. Like, you can't go sit in the locker room for an hour and a half up five touchdowns and then expect to come out like revved up, ready to go, really locked in. Um, and the people that say that that's Auburn football's problem, that they're not like, that's human nature. Like that, that's, if you go to Alabama, if Alabama sat in the freezing cold locker room for an hour and a half and they were up 35 against Mercer and save and put the starters back in, like, they're not going to be locked in either. I'm sure they were watching the Ohio State Notre Dame game. They were probably on their phone, like taking their B real. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. in their mind, the game was basically over. And well, and yeah, and you can also look at it from a, just a pure time perspective. For football games, the players get there, they start warming up 90 minutes before the game. They had an hour and 15, hour and a half. A minute break, I mean, something like that. And then they had a five-minute warm-up period. So in an hour and a half, you're cold. You are completely cold. You're, you have no adrenaline running. You are tight. You are cold. You're getting, you're getting your – I mean, in that time, they're taking their tape off and putting new tape on. Put the guy, like, and they're probably already getting sore from – I mean, 
Cam exactly. Rattles had 15 tackles. He's probably getting yeah, cold exactly. and sore. Yeah, and so they're trying to keep them hot. They come back out. It's still raining a little bit. It's wet. There's about about 78,000 less people in the stadium than there was, and you have five minutes to get ready to play a football game, and you hop in in the game. It's not like you even have the kickoff to be like, okay, the game's starting, like it's go time. It's, nope, here we go. It's first and 10 from, you know, the 45 or something like that. And the first play, Tank just runs it in for a touchdown because it was like the Mercer defense they knew the game was over. They've been sitting there. They've been like, why can't we just go home? Like, the game's over. First play, Tank just runs the scores, and you're just like, okay, the game's over. From here on out, you really can't learn much. And I will say, I, I will say, Robbie Ashford did not really make any mistakes from after the rain delay. And, I, I, I mean, that's probably just – I mean, half he had a few plays after. It wasn't necessarily a huge sample size. But to his credit, he made a couple of good throws – ran the offense well, I don't really think there's any doubt in anyone's mind that Robbie Ashford outshined T.J. Finley in week one. I think the biggest question is how much does Robbie need to outshine T.J. to earn the starting job for week three? So, Wheeler, uh, my, my question to you is, first of all, the question I just asked, and second, who do you think will start the next two weeks, and who do you think should start the next? TJ will start this week. I think it's impossible to say who will start for the Penn State game. And I I don't even know that it's up to Robbie Ashford whether he starts in the Penn State game. I think it's partially up to Robbie and it's partially up to TJ. Like, Robbie could have a perfect game, and I still think TJ would get snaps unless TJ has the same game that he had against Mercer. If he throws two more interceptions against San Jose State and Robbie's playing really well, Robbie will start and TJ may or may not see the field. If TJ has just, you know, a ho-hum, completes, I don't know. I wouldn't say this is ho-hum, but it kind of Against San Jose State, completing 60% of your passes and not having an interception, he's going to start against Penn State. That's just how it is. It's all about turnovers. And that's to say, I mean, that's assuming that Robbie doesn't have turnovers of his own um, against San Jose. And to see how he runs when there's some kind of film on him. I mean, the Mercer defense, I mean, the Mercer defensive coordinators probably kicking back and watching Hoover High School games from what, 2019? Mm-hmm. I mean, how much film can you really get? I mean, what, what are you going to find out from that? Because watching film, you're not really finding out, oh, yeah, the guy's fast. I mean, clearly the guy's fast. You know, we know this. He played baseball. He stole base. Like, he's quick. We get it. But you can't pick that up on film, and that's not going to change the way that your defense runs in the first game. Now they've got some film, San Jose State does, on kind of what Auburn's trying to do blocking-wise and stuff. And I will say – People were kind of hating on the offensive line, saying that they weren't getting a push. And I I really think that that was just a situation of there were a couple of run plays where we didn't break off 12 to 15-yard gains. And those were the plays that the O-line didn't get a push, and those are probably the only plays that people were watching the offensive line. Like, you're watching the quarterback, you're watching the receivers, and going back and watching, I thought that the O-line actually had a pretty decent push on a lot of plays. I mean – you don't break off the runs that they were breaking off without having to push. 
Not having a push is Georgia State last year. That's what not having a push looks like. Okay, that that's you can play a crappy team and not get a push. Trust me, when you're not getting a push, it's it's quite noticeable. You don't have a running back run for a quiet 150 and another one run for multiple touchdowns without getting and then have your quarterback go and run for probably almost 100. I mean, no. The O-line was if they were able to block like this for every game, we're in good shape. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't think I, I don't think either one of us are really going to debate that our offensive line is a great offensive line or anything like that. But I, I do think it's it's similar to what I said a couple podcasts ago. Service, like we're looking for service. We're we're not looking for an offensive line that's going to you know blow Alabama and Georgia off the line and blow A and M off the line. But it's like you need to get a push against LSU. You need to get a push against Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas, more of the quote unquote toss up games. And that's what the goal is. And I think it's the same thing with the quarterback. We need a guy that's serviceable. And T.J. Finley, up until he started throwing interceptions, was very serviceable. And I think that was kind of what you're looking at is you're like, okay, well, T.J.'s good enough. And then he started turning it over, and you're like, well, we can't have that. But I do think I do think T.J. should – I think he should start against San Jose State. I don't think we have a – I don't think we have a big enough sample size of Robbie Ashford to bring him into the starting lineup. However, my question to you is, when the game started against Mercer, it was obvious that TJ was the starter, and when Robbie was coming in, it was obvious from watching the game that it's like, when Robbie comes in, it's like, okay, this is the backup coming in, he's a good player, or that kind of that kind of feel. But it was obvious that it was TJ's offense, TJ was the starting quarterback. TJ starts throwing some interceptions, throws a second interception, you see Robbie the rest of the game, and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, this is looking like it's Robbie. So would you do you think, in your opinion, against San Jose State, Auburn should treat it the same way and have TJ essentially be the starter until the score is more out of hand or until he gives you a reason to not look like the starter? Or do you think you should give TJ two drives, Robbie two drives, and treat it as if you're trying to find a starter for Penn State? No, because I really don't think that Harson. I don't think Harson views it as you have to have a starting quarterback. So I, I don't think he's going to do the two drive, two drive because I think he did that last year to kick Bo's butt into gear. I really do. I, I don't think that he thought TJ was a capable, you know, starting quarterback. He said, we're going to give TJ a drive just so that Bo would be motivated. Yeah. Bo would be pissed off getting ready for LSU. Because if you go back, I mean, TJ didn't do anything like heinous against – I mean, it, he didn't do anything worthy of getting benched in the LSU uh-huh. game. Like, he played fine and he never came back in. Like, it was a tactic. So, that was last year. This year, I really think he views it like he views running back, like he views receiver, what how he views right guard. Like, he said in his press conference, these guys are football players. I don't care that they play the quarterback position – they can come onto the field and they can go off the field. Like, it's really just not that big of a deal. If, and if they've both been running the entire fall camp, then it's not like, oh, this guy doesn't have any experience with the O-line. Like, as long as the offense is still being, you know, run correctly. I mean, Steve Spurrier used to run multiple quarterbacks out there. I mean, I don't know where the idea came from that you have to have just the one. 
other than the fact that most places don't have multiple guys that do things differently, you know? Like you Auburn's in a unique situation where you you don't necessarily have a guy that's good at all of the things that you want out there all the time, but you don't have a guy that's so bad at all the things that you never want him out there, you know? Yeah. And so I think for this situation, it kind of works of the just treating him like a receiver, or just treating him like running back and come on and off the field. And if you're playing bad, you get benched. And if you're playing well, then you get to play more. Yeah. And I also think, I think that a more kind of underrated thing that's making it easier to do this is the fact that Tate Johnson is kind of was just thrust into the starting role as a center. He wasn't really used to a cadence, you know, like, like, Brahms would much more be used to fin- to Finley's cadence compared to Ashford's because he's played more with them. I mean, obviously, Brahms's would be Brahms would be much more used to Bo Nix's cadence, but it's with Tate Johnson, he hasn't really had that many more snaps with Finley or Ashford, so he kind of knows both of their cadence. So as long as he knows who's out there, he knows what to listen for. So I don't think it's necessarily Tate's not really going with muscle memory and. He's not used to a cadence. So I really don't think the cadence argument really matters in this particular scenario. But the, I mean, obviously, you know, you don't want to beat a dead horse and just continue to talk about the quarterbacks. But I think one of the, the last questions that I'll go with you is Do you think, from what you've seen so far, do you think that TJ Finley can be the guy? for Auburn's ceiling. So obviously this Auburn team has a ceiling and a floor. Do you think that TJ Finley can be the guy to attain that ceiling? Do you think Robbie Ashford can be the guy to attain that ceiling? Or do you think that a mix of both of them is almost necessary to attain that ceiling? Or do you think you got to pick one or the other? And if you think it should be one or the other, who's your gut kind of telling you that if you had to, if you had to ride with one for the rest of the season, from the small sample size we've seen, who's your pick? Just kind of what what are you thinking with that? That those. Scenarios? I I don't think it's TJ alone. I really don't think that that one's on the table. The other two, I could see it being either, because if I truly did what you're saying and I just zoomed into this game then I'd say Robbie's the only one that you can reach the ceiling with. But I think that's nearsighted. But also, I know that they all made the jokes and made the statements, oh, quarterbacks can get better at Auburn. Well, TJ, he kind of looks like the same guy. I mean, those picks look eerily similar to things we saw in the Iron Bowl, where once he starts throwing picks – Katie bar the door. They're coming, buddy. I mean, it's like almost like when Bo Nix starts throwing picks. You just know, like, once they break the seal, you better watch out because the picks are coming. Um, and who knows? Robbie could be the same way. Robbie could be the same way with fumbling. You know? I mean, we don't know because we saw – I mean, he didn't – he played like a quarter of a game. I would say Six he just – carries and seven passes. Yeah. And a few runs, and half of his plays that were included in that were after a rain delay where both teams were just trying to get out of it, not injured. So the sample size is very, very small. Um, 
I mean, I guess he looked good in A-Day, but that's not a sample size. Like, that. that's like a rain delay game. Like, you can't look at A-Day and decide that he's going to be the, you know, the franchise. So, I don't think it's TJ, solely because we saw TJ all of last year, and he wasn't it, and then he didn't show anything in this game that said he's it now. Um, and so, maybe it's Robbie, but I'm, I'm going to have to go with both, just because... If Robbie were it, I think Robbie would have been the starter. Like, there's something that either Robbie's a gamer or Robbie just had a really good game. Because if he played like he did this week, I think he's the starter. I, I don't think that there's, like, a question in my mind. I don't think you could watch that game. And if that's what they looked like all of fall camp, think, I'm going to go with the first guy that threw the interceptions, you know? Yeah, I definitely agree with that, and I think that, Obviously, if we see the T.J. Finley we saw last week, again this week, it's not looking good for him. But, I don't know. It, it's a tough one because at the the Ashford situation is so weird because he might be a gamer. And we talked about this with Calzada in the offseason. He might be a gamer, and we don't know that. And that may have explained why he didn't play at Oregon. Because if Calzada, let's be honest, if Texas A&M didn't have a bunch of injuries, we don't know Calzada. Calzada doesn't transfer to an SEC school if Texas A&M doesn't have a ton of injury because no one would have seen what he did in that season. Nobody would have seen what he could have done when given that chance. But obviously he's not very good in practice. And Robbie, Robbie really, he didn't have the luxury that Calzada did of being just thrust into the starting job and being told, hey, we just need you to play quarterback because we don't have anyone else. So maybe that could explain why Robbie never took a snap in Eugene. You know, that, that it's a it's a thought. But I, I just think if Robbie replicates what he did this week, I think you gotta ride with him because you've seen what TJ can do, and I think that there's just a limit to how much better he can get. And I don't wanna I don't wanna hate on TJ because there are good things he can do and he looked like a guy that could be a service SEC quarterback before he started throwing those picks. But he started he, he started throwing picks and he threw he had multiple turnovers against a team like Mercer and that was just a problem. So I I just I'm very cautious of TJ Finley and Robbie I'm cautious of, but it's also like Robbie's bad plays so far haven't resulted in turnovers. TJ's bad plays have. And that's the biggest thing that if you don't I mean, if you don't turn the ball over, it's like you can deal with missing like missing the mark. I mean that's Bo Nix. Bo Nix he had certain games where he turned it over. Most of his mistakes, he missed the mark, but he really didn't. Th- he didn't throw that many interceptions, especially if you look at his freshman season. Half of his interceptions came in one game, and obviously, like you said, when he starts throwing picks, watch out because he's throwing picks. But before he started throwing picks, a lot of his bad throws, it was like, well, no one caught it. It's an incomplete pass. You'd love to see another down. And if Robbie's style is like that, where his bad plays are just bad plays but you live to see another down then I think we'll be okay yeah no I agree um so I I think the San Jose State game is going to be very intriguing to see what they do with the quarterback situation but I really think it's going to be pretty similar to how they were planning on doing the Mercer game yeah I completely agree and we'll just have to see what happens next week and you know, it's just uh, an interesting thing that we'll just have to wait and just have more to talk about next week. But, you know, 
Speaking of next week, we'll, uh, uh, Auburn will be taking on San Jose State. We'll be back here next week, either Monday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, one of those. Break down all things San Jose State, and we'll be able to preview Penn State and hopefully have a stronger idea of who the guy will be for the rest of the season. Thank you all for listening, and War Eagle. War Eagle.